Hi, I'm Kim. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> Through God's grace, AA, and both sides of sponsorship, I've been sober since December 16th of 1998, and for that I'm truly grateful. Yeah. That is a miracle. It really is. Um, thank you for inviting me, Brian. Uh, and the committee. Uh, it's always an honor to speak anywhere for Alcoholics Anonymous, anywhere. You know, my home group, your home group, at a meeting like this. Uh, and I feel blessed and honored to be able to speak tonight, so thank you for that. Um, I have tissues. Sorry. It's kind of an emotional day. I'll just start off with that right off the bat. But uh, um, was raised in Sharonville, Ohio. My mom and dad own the local bar in town called Julie's Lounge. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not. We had a bar in our basement, so drinking was normal. And, uh, I mean, it's just what we did. We drank, you know. I remember planning with my friends when I was young that we were going to do what my parents did. Girl out, swim in the pool, and drink, you know. And I really aspired to do that. I didn't aspire to grow up and be an alcoholic, yet here I am. (laughs) And I could end my story right there because... I aspired to go to the bar and leave and go home by myself and go home on time and make it to work on time and not jump off the cliff and not get in a fight with that person and not black out. But those things happened when I drank. And I'm just like you. You know, I came into these rooms uh, in 1992 for the very first time, but, um, you know, my journey getting here looked a lot like yours. You know, my very first drink that I had, I was young. I don't remember how old I was, but... My brother was five years older than me and my best friend that I was drinking with. Her brother was five years older than her, and they were having a party. And in order for us to shut up and not tell on them, they gave us Hootie Delight. And I remember taking a drink of that Hootie Delight and thinking, ugh, like that's just gross. And this guy leaned over to me, and he said, you have to drink through that ugh. And I thought, okay. (laughs) And he was right. I took a drink, and then I took a drink, and it didn't matter what it tasted like then. I got that warm feeling in my belly. I'm shaking my head and rolling down the hill and doing stupid stuff and having a good time. And Sharon B. talked about, you know, she would take a drink, and her boobs would get bigger, and her hair would get longer, and she would get taller. And I could relate. It did that for me. It gave me courage, you know, made me funny. I, you know, people wanted to be around me until they didn't, you know, uh, which came later. Um, so I drank as often as I could. I had found this lucky gem, you know, and what happened for me is I would walk home across the street and I didn't have that, peer, that pit of fear in my belly, you know, when I walked home. And my dad, I would say, was a very mean man and he was very strict and you know, it took that fear away to go home, and, uh, you know, and then that turned into, you know, being emancipated when I was 16 in the state of Ohio, and I did get emancipated, and I lived with a friend for a little while, and I lived in my car for a little while, and I lived in the lighthouse for a little while, and they said, gosh, you got so much potential, you know, and uh, I found the counselor that, you know, did, you know, drank and did other things, you know, and I hung out with a counselor, you know, while I stayed in the runaway shelter, and I always found the person, you know, that had what I needed and I could get what I needed to get. And uh, got my own apartment after that in Silverton on Ohio Street, and it was close to Never on Sundays Bar, if anybody's familiar with Never on Sundays. And my neighbor upstairs uh, was old enough to drink, and I had a phone. And we had a fast friendship. (laughs) She wanted to use my phone, and I needed alcohol. Sooner versus, you know, sooner she came down and she was like, we need to get you an ID because she was getting tired of getting me alcohol all the time. So we did that. We went to the Blue Ash License Bureau. It was over there on Blue Ash Road, I think. And we walked in there, and I was like, 
what's your social security number? And she told me, and I read it on the paper. And we both had blonde hair. She was a little taller than I was, but we looked really similar. We both had brown eyes and yada yada. And I sat there. They took my picture, and they put it on the license. And back in the day, they would send it to Columbus, and in two weeks, you'd get your new driver's license. And she just went in and said it never showed up, so she went back and got a license. And I had a license to drink, like literally a license to drink. And we went out and we drank. And, uh, you know, we would go, and our main thing was to go drink and see how much we could drink and not pay for it. And I'm not proud of that. I'm just saying that's what we did. We would change our names and change our stories. We were from different cities, and we were all this, that, and the other. And then when we had enough to drink at that bar, we'd sneak out the door if we were lucky enough and go to another bar and do it again until I became the sad drunk in the corner crying about my life (laughs) then all the fun stopped you know I thought if you had a life like I had you'd drink too if you had the life like I had you'd drink too that's why I was drinking and the truth of the matter is I was drinking whether it was nice out or it was you know I was happy I was sad my favorite time to drink was in spring around the 275 loop with the windows down and the music on I didn't see anything wrong with that I didn't know I was endangering your all's lives I was just about having a good time and for me that was freedom right Little did I know I was endangering everybody else, you know. Mine was always, I'm not hurting you, so just if you don't like the way I drink, just don't be around me when I'm drinking. Long story short, I went to Never on Sundays with my fake ID and my friend, and uh, we're a little bit older now, 19, still not old enough to drink, and I'm with my mom, and my mom thinks it's cool, and uh, with her friend, and... um, I'm at never on Sundays doing what I do when I'm drinking, and I'm sucking face with this guy because he's buying the beer, you know. And I'm think, you know, things are amazing right now. You know, I'm probably going to marry this guy. You know, <laughs> I don't know what his name is, but this is great. And I remember feeling like I had arrived. You know, I I was having a ball. I had that, you know, that some people have five minutes of fun, ten minutes. I had about fifteen. I remember thinking this is great. Life is wonderful. And they wanted to leave, and I thought, why would you want to leave now? Like, we're just starting to have a good time, you know? And we get out into the parking garage, and the whole time, my mind's going, how can I get us back in to drink more? How can I go back? I mean, that's, you know, my main purpose was to, I wanted to drink, you know? It was on. We got out in the parking garage, my best friend that I grew up with, her dad was a Cincinnati police officer. So anytime we'd get in trouble, she'd pull out my dad's a police officer card, and we'd typically get out of it. So the police come, they show up. We're out there debating, and I have the bright idea that I'm going to tell the police officer we're all too drunk to drive. (laughs) Sounds like a good enough idea to me. In my mind, that means we all get to go back in and drink some more. That's not what happened at all. I said, well, we're all too drunk to drive, and with that, my friend went and swung at me, and she missed, and they arrested her and put her in the back of the police car. And then uh, they told my mom not to sit down in her car or drive her car because they would arrest her for DUI. But they said they were going to close down the garage, so she wanted to sneak and put her car on the street, and they arrested her for a DUI. So they're in jail, and I'm feeling sorry for myself. (laughs) I'm the only one with a fake ID, the only one causing trouble, wanting to go back in and drink. And they're in jail, and I'm walking across the bridge from Kentucky, Covington, to Ohio, and it, it was August, and it had rained a lot. And you know how swollen the Ohio River gets. And it was swollen and trees, you know, it's flowing fast. And I'm feeling sorry for myself. Before that, I walked into the hotel where we were, and I called everybody in my black book. And I was a hairdresser at the time, so you were all in there. And I called you all. And I was like, hi, I'm Kim, I'm your hairdresser. Click. It's 3 in the morning, you know. 
I called people I knew, I called people I didn't know, and you all hung up on me, rightfully so, and I didn't do hair for much longer after that, let's just say. So nobody would come and get me, and I am really starting to feel sorry for myself now. So I go out on the bridge, and I'm walking across the bridge, and I'm thinking, I'll just... I'll just die. I'm just going to throw myself off this bridge. Nobody loves me. Poor woe is me, you know. And I'm really, really feeling like the hole in my gut. You know, I'm really feeling alone and helpless and desperate. And um, so I go through the whole thing. I'm pretty dramatic. I like to picture myself, you know. So I'm thinking about if I died, what would happen? I'd be laying in the casket like this, and people would come by, and they'd go, we should have really picked her up, you know. And then they'd be really sorry they didn't come and get me. And I thought, yeah, yeah, that's what's going to happen. And then a few minutes later, I thought, you know what, Kim? You're going to jump in here and break a leg and a back, and you're going to float for, like, weeks or months, and they're going to find you three states down, hanging on by a thread and save you, you know? And I thought, I don't want to do that either. So I hitchhiked home and went back to work the next day because I was a good working alcoholic, and... Walked into, I worked at McAlpin's, and I worked with like 78 hairdressers at the time, which means somebody was always in the break room smoking, eating, or telling a joke. Back in the day, you could smoke inside. And I walked in the break room, and there was nobody in there. And this girl comes in, and she sat down next to me, and she was like, hey. And I looked at her, and I said, I think I'm an alcoholic. Can you help me? And she was like, oh, my gosh, I'll be right back. And she got up. She was excited, and the doors, we had French doors, and they swung like, whew. And I just remember thinking, oh, no. Like, that was an overcorrection. What have I done? (laughs) She comes back in, and I left the book in my room, but she came back in with this big book of, you know, this big blue book. At the time, I had no idea what it was, and she set it down in front of me, and she was like, I'm so excited. It probably had my name in the front. You know, we're always the last to know about ourselves, and I'm still the last to know. So she's like, she was waiting Uh, I'm going to pick you up at 7 o'clock. We're going to go to Oak Street, and uh, it's a 7.30 meeting on a Sunday night, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, what have I done? And uh, It's too late. I can't stop it now. The ball's in motion, you know? And uh, she comes and picks me up, and we go to Oak Street, and this is in August of 92, and we walk in, and there is it's packed. It's packed. And we go into, like, the second aisle, and they've got, like, that partition where the heating duct sits out. And I tried to hide behind it, and I sat down. I'm terrified of you people, terrified. And she said, they're going to ask if anybody's new. You might want to stand up and say, you're Kim, you're an alcoholic. And I thought to myself, there is no way I'm standing up in front of all these people telling you that I'm an alcoholic. There's no way. It's not happening. And she leaned over to me, and she said, don't worry. They're all alcoholic, too. I had no idea why you were there. I just knew why I was there. I frankly didn't care why you were there. So the meeting started, and Emily R. was the, chair, was the speaker that day, and she got up on the spit in the podium, and she said, Hi, I'm Emily. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> and you guys laughed with her, and I thought, well, that wasn't very funny. And then she laughed some more, and she laughed some more. And all I remember from that meeting is Emily and everybody laughing with her. And then I remember at the end of the meeting, a line of women formed. And they formed all the way down the aisle, out and around the corner. And they weren't in line for the chairperson or the speaker. They were in line for me because I raised my hand and said I was new. For me. Those women saved my life that day by giving me their name and their number. Saved my life. I 
didn't hang out with women when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. If I hung out with a woman, it was just one. And if there was more than one, or even if there was just one, I probably wanted something you had. And it was either your guy, your money, your shoes, your alcohol, whatever. But you had something I wanted. Otherwise, I wasn't hanging out with you. I was hanging out with the guys. Because I could drink with the guys, I could hang out with the guys. So that's what I did. To have all these women come up and give me their name and number, I thought, eh, there's something fishy about this. So I had these numbers and all this, that, and the other, and I'm doing what I do. I'm taking this guy home to Vine Street to the halfway house because he needed a ride. (laughs) And my car broke down. And I thought, I've got phone numbers. Girls. So I'm calling these girls, and I finally get a hold of some girls that come down and sit with me in my car because he was like, see ya, gotta go, and he took (laughs) off into the house. And there I sat on Vine Street by myself, called these girls. They came and sat with me, and mechanic Dan came down and fixed my car. I had a busted radiator hose or something like that, but he fixed it. And I remember thinking, I'm going to owe these people big time. Like, I'm going to owe big. And I was used to owing big and paying large. I was used to it. You know, it was the kind of life I lived. And I was sitting there kind of preparing myself because I didn't have money to get it fixed. I, You know, I worked, but I didn't have any money. I drank it, you know. And... Uh, you know, it came time when he finished, finished the car, and I was waiting, and he said, uh, I was like, so how much, you know, like, what's the damage? You know, what do I have to do now? What's the payment here? And he looked at me, and he said, when you're sober and you can pass it, pay it forward, I want you just to pay it forward to somebody else. What? I had no idea what pay it forward meant or take care of somebody else, or what did he just say to me? Like, I was just like, what? Wait a minute. So two ladies from Alcoholics Anonymous that barely knew me and a guy that I barely knew came down and fixed my car and sat with me. Why? Why do we do that for each other? They saved my life that day. Little by little by little, they're showing me what Alcoholics Anonymous looks like just through their actions. So I'm going to Oak Street, and this lady takes me out, the one that took me to the meeting. She was just like so wild and crazy, and she took me on the front porch, and she had this big book, and I don't remember asking her to be my sponsor, but I'm sure I must have because she said, this is what we're going to (laughs) do. And she opened up that big book and she wrote, number one, call me every day. And she put her phone number in the book, in the front of the book. She wrote her number in the front of the book. Number two, she said, do you have a problem with God? Oh, it doesn't matter. You're going to pray on your knees in the morning (laughs) for God to keep you clean and sober. And number three was, you're going to pray on your knees at night and thank God for keeping you clean and sober. Number four, you're going to go to a meeting every day. Number five, you're going to work the steps. Number six, you're going to read a piece of the big book every day, first 164 pages, and highlight what sticks out to you. Number seven, you're going to say yes to AA requests. Number eight, you're going to hang out with the women. I mean, she's giving me this great stuff, and I'm kind of upset, right? It's a lot of stuff you're telling me to do here, and I don't like to be told what to do. So I'm taking the book home, and I thought, well, I'll just show her. Well, I wasn't really thinking I'll show her. I just thought she wants me to read this first 164 pages. I'm going to get this thing over with. i got stuff to do. So I go home, and I've got my highlighter, and I'm highlighting and reading, and two or three days go by, and I call her, and I say, okay, I'm done. And she was like, you're done with what? I'm like, I'm done reading the book, you know? And she just kind of chuckled. <laughs> okay, pick another color and do it again. <laughs> I thought that was really stupid, and I thought, but okay, whatever, so I got another color, and I did it again, and I called her in a couple of days, and I said, okay, I'm done, and she said, done with what, and I said, I read the book again in another color, and she said, okay, do it again, and I just thought, I have the dumb sponsor, you know, and she probably thought, 
I have the dumb sponsee, you know. I had no idea what she was teaching me, but she was teaching me that the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is a textbook, and it's meant to be read over and over and over and over. And I was just in a big book meeting yesterday, and I was seeing stuff in that we were reading There is a Solution. Isn't that what we were reading? Yeah. And uh, I was just like... I still, I mean, I have read that book over and over and I, and, and over, and I'm looking at, and I'm like, that's where that's at. I knew I heard that somewhere. That's what they were referencing. It just, it just blows my mind. I mean, the good stuff is in there. If you're not reading your book, read your book. It's amazing. There's some really good stuff in there. Some people even say it's a design for a living. You must not miss. So I'm reading this book, and I'm, she's teaching me how to do all this stuff, and, uh, you know, I, he comes into Alcoholics Anonymous and he stalked me, which means he's following me everywhere and putting through extra effort. And I think he must really, really like me. So uh, I started dating him right away. Um, we had a big, long conversation how we were going to take it slow. And uh, that's like the death. And I was pregnant three months later. And <laughs> true story. And then. Uh, Boom, we had a baby in May of 1994. I had about two years of sobriety, had a baby in May of 94. And in June 6th, because uh, what happens is when I got together with him and had a baby, my thinking changed. What happened was I didn't need to call you every day. That was a little excessive, right? And I didn't need to go to a meeting every day, right? Because I had to stay home and take care of my marriage, or we had to go to dinner, and there were things I had to do. I had to take care of my kid. I'm more responsible now. This is the, these are the lies I told myself, like, really. So little by little by little, I'm not praying on my knees for God to keep me clean and sober or thanking him. I'm not reading my book. I'm not going to meetings. I'm not calling you. I'm not doing anything in the book that was suggested for me to do. So lo and behold, on June 6th, when a sponsee, uh, we we had the same sponsor. She came over, and she was drinking. She handed me a beer. I said, okay. It was that easy. Okay. And I took a drink, and she took a drink, and we're sitting out by the pool, and we're drinking. It's June 6th. I just had this baby May 12th. We're drinking. We're just having a ball. So I think we go in, we drunk dial my sponsor. I don't recommend that. We called her and said, we're drinking. Ha <laughs> 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 ha, we hung up. <laughs> smart idea, not smart idea. Was not, did not turn out like I thought it was going to turn out at all. And the truth of that matter is, as soon as my friend left, I went into the kitchen and called that sponsor back and said, I'm drinking and I'm scared to death and I don't know what to do. And she said, you're drinking, so if you really want to get sober, you'll call me tomorrow when you're sober. And she hung up on me. And she should have. You know? She should have. And the thing about me is I think I can drink and come right back into Alcoholics Anonymous, and that's just not my story. My story is that when I drink, I'm out there until I'm thoroughly convinced. Thoroughly convinced I can't do it again. And there's no telling what's going to happen when I'm out there. This time, I'm out there and I'm driving home drunk with my five-year-old in the car. Because I decided to go, you know, have a drink with a friend at Cooker's, and we're drinking, and I had, you know, alcohol, vodka, which was what I liked a whole lot. And then I go to the bar because my mom owns Julie's, and I get to go pick my daughter up from school in Sharonville, and I live in Norwood, but we're using my mom's address because that school's better, I thought. So I'm going to Sharonville, and uh, I'm early, so I stop by the bar to have a drink before I go get my daughter. And I'm too drunk to go get my own daughter from school. And the bartender gets another one of us drunks in the back to watch the bar while she goes and picks up my daughter for me and then puts my daughter in my car with me. And I'm like, see ya. So, you know, see you later. And they're like, call us when you, when you get home. You know? I'm too drunk to get her from school, but I'm not too drunk to drive home with her. So here we're in the car, and, you know, my story is that I'm always saying, 
I'm not hurting you. Don't like the way I drink, don't hang out with me. So I'm driving home, and all of a sudden I hear this tick, 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 and it's gravel in my wheel well. And the gravel's because I'm running off the road on the highway, getting off of the uh, highway onto Norwood Lateral. And I thought, oh, no, I must be really drunk, you know. So I'm doing the how drunk am I thing, and I turn the mirror in my car to see because I'm going to be seeing people. And if I'm really, really drunk, I have to make sure that I don't look really, really drunk. You know, we do all those things to cover up our breath and how we look, so do I have to apply more makeup, you know. I can't let anybody know I've been drinking all afternoon. And what happened was I had a moment of clarity when I looked in that mirror. And when I turned that mirror and I looked back there, I, that you, I'm not hurting anybody I'm not hurting anybody. I realized my daughter was in the car with me, and I was running off the road. And it wasn't the first time I had drunk and drove with my kids in the car. Um, but I saw her just swinging her feet, just looking out the window, just, you know. And I got home, and um, my ex-husband was uh, sober, and he said, I'm going to go to Oak Street. Do you want to come? And I said no, and my head said yes, and we went to Oak Street, and, 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 I, and, I, got back, and I came back into AA somewhere in there. Um, I don't know. I had uh, uh, two years of sobriety, got pregnant. What can I say? You know, I, I lay down the spiritual, the, the book calls it the simple spiritual tools. Oh, you know, and I laid it down easily and uh, had my second daughter and life was crazy and uh, he was having an affair and my prayers changed from God keep me clean and sober to God make her leave and make him stay and that's just the honest truth and I couldn't go to AA meetings because I couldn't you know watch what they were doing at my house so I stopped you know I stopped trusting my higher power I stopped trusting my higher power and what happened I got drunk I got drunk so I had my second daughter and uh, came back into Alcoholics Anonymous. I was driving down the road and I had a song play. It says, I need something else to get me through this. And I thought, you sure do. You know, you're, you're right, I do. And that's when I drank and I was out there for another year. Um, you know, I, I, I came to Alcoholics Anonymous again and uh, walked into 405 Oak Street. And I, was, I walked in and um, Chuck H. was sitting in the front seat on uh, the front row before the meeting, and I walked in, and I didn't want to come in and talk to you guys because it's really hard to drink twice in Alcoholics Anonymous. For you know, I had two years of sobriety, baby drank, was out for a year. Two years of sobriety, baby drank, and I was out for about a year. And to come into Alcoholics Anonymous again and say my way didn't work was really, really hard to do. It was really hard to come in and admit defeat to you guys. You guys knew me. And I walked in, and Chuck was sitting there, and I was not happy to be there, and he was like, hey, you... We've been saving you a seat. And he was all smiling. And I was pissed. And I must have given him the look of, like, die, you know, like. And he said, you know what? He took a step back, and he said, you stay sick. You're teachable when you're sick. And I thought, oh, forget that. I'm getting, you know, I'm, I'm going to get sober, by goodness, you know. And I asked his wife to sponsor me. And, and we were at a conference that weekend, and, and it was surely because I had a friend named Lori that had spiky hair that was just crazy, and I thought, if she can work for you, she can work for me. We went to a conference like this, and she was taping. And uh, I walked into the tape room after one of the leads, after one of the speakers spoke, and I was like, so uh, do you think you'll be my sponsor? And, and she said, listen, Kim, she said, you know, if I have something with strawberries and something, and you have something with chocolate, and we're making cakes, and we have two different things. If you want what I have, you'll do what I do. And to this today, that's what I try to do to the best of my ability. 
And it's it's and I don't know what part that my sponsor today does that I can't do and still stay sober, so I try to do it all. When I call and ask for guidance, I try to do everything she asks me to do because I don't know which part of it it's going to be that's going to be the one that's going to be... Because I get things like this. I'll, my life will be falling apart, and I'll call and say, you know, I'm, I'm reading and I'm praying, and, and she'll say, Kim, what are you not doing? What are you not? What part are you leaving out? And for me, that's really important. So fast forward, uh, I'm sober in Alcoholics Anonymous again, and uh, I'm about two years sober, and I'm pregnant. <laughs> right? Got to figure out what happens. How's that happen? I couldn't figure it out. So after the lesson on how that happens, I show up to my home group because I have a home group this time. Because the home group's good because you show up every week to it. You get to know the people that are in the home group, right? Right. You get a job in the home group. You really get to know the people in it, right? Right. You get a job in the home group. Then it doesn't matter if your marriage is falling apart. You still got to show up to the home group because they need the cake or they need the coffee or they need whatever it is that they need. And I have a job in a home group, and I need to show up. So I show up to this meeting. I tell my sponsor who's there at this meeting, and I say, two years, baby, drink, two years, baby, drink, two years, and I'm pregnant, and cry. And she said, good, because you're the 10-minute speaker. And I thought, well, that's not productive. (laughs) So I stood up at my home group meeting at Fox Hall in Madeira, and I cried the whole 10 minutes. (gasps) I'm just, (laughs) and I cried the entire way through my whole story, the whole 10 minutes of it. It was painful, I'm sure. And uh, what happened was, is you guys stepped into action. You guys saw an opportunity. And what that opportunity was is we needed to surround me and bring me into the center of the boat. And so you did. Um, So I got busy in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, And that just means doing exactly what we've talked about. Got a home group, got a job, showed up to meetings, called you people, picked up people, said yes, worked with the steps, read the book, prayed on my knees. You know, you think it sounds pretty simple, right? So I'm having all this stuff and... uh, I have him, and um, I'm having some heart issues. And um, you'll have to, somebody will have to tell me the time because I forgot to mark my watch on the time. So okay, um, so I'm having heart issues, or I, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm having issues, and um, I was taught to keep pushing and keep pushing until I get. I'm, I'm passing out for no reason. Okay, let me just tell you what's going on here. Now, drinking, I passed out and blacked out. No problem. I expected drink, pass out get up, do it again. Okay, fine. But I'm sober, you know, I'm sober and I got this little baby and I'm passing out and I'm thinking something's not right. Like I call the doctor and say, I'm not drinking and I'm passing out. I don't understand. Big clue, red flag. There's an alcoholic, right? So I go to the emergency room three or four times and they're like, oh, you know, Lord, you have three kids. You ought to be passing out. You know, they're kind of laughing and you know, they're thinking it's anxiety or stress or which it probably was a lot of anxiety and stress, but uh, they're not listening, you know, they're not listening. So I'm calling my sponsor, and I'm like, they're not listening. She said, keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. And I finally went to my doctors again, my regular doctor, and I said, listen, I know you think I'm crazy. I might be crazy, but there's something wrong with me. You don't just pass out sitting on the couch. You just, you just don't do it. And he said, okay, well, what do you think's wrong with you? <laughs> and I said, I think there's something wrong with my heart. And he said, okay, well, I'll send you to a cardiologist, and we'll find out. And I'm like, phew, okay, let's do that. And he sent me to a cardiologist, and they did all these tests, and the cardiologist came in and said, I just had my son. And he said, you're a healthy 29-year-old female, and uh, you're a little out of shape. I just had a baby. I'm like, come on, give me a break. And so he gives me this event monitor that I have to wear for 30 days. And at the time, my sponsor, um, we went away. We called him advances, and we went to this advance in the middle of the woods with a bunch of women to talk about God, AA, and service work. And... uh, 
we go ahead and do that. And uh, I bring my son with me because um, I'm, I'm, I'm nursing my son. And I have this gadget on. And my, um, my little, when I feel funny, I press the button and it records a minute back and a minute forward. And so I go down to the little pay booth phone because... I don't know, you have to call it in on a landline, and we're in the middle of the woods in nowhere, and I call this reading over, and my cardiologist calls Carol's phone. And I don't have any idea to this day how he got her phone number, but he called Carol's phone and said, you have something called complete heart block. You, we need you to come back as soon as you can. And lo and behold, I had a nurse that was there, you know, and she knew exactly what was going on. How does that happen, right? She knew exactly what was going on because what was happening, I thought my arteries were clogged because they're like complete heart block. I thought something was blocked, you know, and it was usually arteries, so I better watch what I eat. So I started eating a lot of s'mores. And, well, I might not ever get any ever again. So I'm eating a lot of s'mores and doing that whole thing, and uh, she's probably sitting there laughing like, go ahead, kid, you know. Um, but what was happening is my heart was stopping, and it, my signal was getting lost, and I would pass out. And then my heart would go, oh, no, we need to beat. And then it would beat and wake me back up. And so my heart was stopping randomly. And uh, I got home. Uh, four ladies rode home with me. One drove my car. The nurse was on standby in case my heart stopped. I had no idea of any of this. They all knew, but I had no idea. And they helped me get home. When I got home, my heart stopped for 13 seconds, and I got rushed to the emergency room. And AA stepped up. I had a nursing baby, and I had, you know, two other children. And... Uh, Debbie W., who has passed on, came over and watched this screaming child that wanted nothing but to be with his mom. I mean, I'm pumping and dumping because they're having to do surgery and giving me all these drugs and stuff like that, and she's trying to pacify this poor baby, and you guys are you guys are taking care of my family when I can't. You guys are doing that. Not my mom. You guys. You guys are helping me take care of my family. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. That's what we do here. We take care of each other. So you guys are taking care of my family, and I got a pacemaker. And my pacemaker got put in in September of 2001, September 17th of 2001. And I got a second lease on life. You know, the only thing I can't do is go to a junkyard near Big Magnets. <laughs> Fat chance of that happening. And I can't run uh, one of those things, you know. Uh, I don't know. They cut things. Whatever. I can't. Chainsaw. I can't be around one of those. Probably a good thing, because I don't even know what it is, so... So people came, and they showed up, and they brought meals, and you guys are such a blessing, you just have no idea. So I'm doing Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm in the deal. Uh, I've got the sponsor, and she's saying, work the steps. I'm working the steps, and when I was out there drinking, I went to Walmart, and one of the steps in my amends was to this Walmart. Now, I went into Walmart, and I got diapers, wipes, and a cordless phone. And the lady rang it up, diapers, wipes, cordless phone. And the cordless phone alone was like $120. And she didn't ring up the $120 phone. Everything together was like $95. And I thought, huh, shame on her. You know, it, I put it up there. Not my fault, her fault. I'm taking the phone and we're leaving. And I left and I went home and this cordless phone worked wonderful. But when I got sober, it was the first thing I thought of was making amends for that stupid phone. So I call my sponsor, and I'm telling her, and I'm making my list of things that I have to do. And uh, the first one was to go to Walmart and repay that $120 or whatever it was. I can't remember exactly. And I got cash, and I went to Walmart. And then went to the you know, little service desk and asked for the manager. And he was six foot a million. He was just so tall. <laughs> and I said, you know, <laughs> will you come over here into the middle of the clothes with me? You know, because I didn't want anybody to see what we were doing, you know. <laughs> 
So we get in the middle, and I remember looking up, like, and I was like, so this is the deal. And I explained the whole thing, and now I'm in a program of recovery, and the phone was $120, and I handed him cash. And he looked down at me, and he was just like, whoa. (laughs) And I was like, bye, you know, and I ran out the door. I was scared to death. He'd change his mind and, like, you know, put me, I don't know. I don't know what I thought. But I went out and called my sponsor, and I was like, this was great. It was wonderful. I can't wait to do another one. I meant it, too. (laughs) Uh, One of my amends that I was terrified to make was to my my dead grandfather. (laughs) Believe that or not. Uh, How crazy is that? So my sponsor at the time told me I could make a, uh, go to the grave and read him a letter. I could, you know, a different, a whole bunch of different things I could do. And one of the things I could do was pick somebody in AA that I wanted to have stand in as my grandfather, and I picked Billy Joe. And Billy Joe knew my grandfather, and my grandfather died sober, and Billy Joe obviously died sober, and... Uh, he reminded me a lot of my grandfather and I went up to Billy Joe at Oak Street one night and I said I have to make this amends to my grandpa and he died and he passed on and blah 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 and Billy Joe said absolutely whatever you need you know and three years later and not once and I saw Billy Joe regularly and he never came up to me like you know uh, do you think it's time to make that amends you know or anything like that never gave me a crooked look never said anything to me about it ever ever he never said anything to me and one day, you know that God push we get inside our bellies when you got to make that amends? You know, you walk in and you go, oh, it's time, i got to do it. You know, like, it's time. I had that, oh, it's time. It was Friday night, Oak Street. It was packed. And I looked at him and I said, it's time. And he knew exactly what I meant. We went out in the parking lot at Oak Street and I got to read him this letter and I cried and he cried and he said, I love you, baby. And he hugged me just like my grandpa would have. That's Alcoholics Anonymous. That's Alcoholics Anonymous. I had to make amends to my kids because I wasn't the mom that I wanted to be. I would yell at my kids. We all yell at our kids. We all do. All of us. We all yell at our kids. And if we don't yell at our kids, we freeze them out. We tell them, I love you, but go away with our actions. We just do it. It's what we do. But this particular night, I spanked my daughter, and I spanked her really hard because she wanted more time with me. That's all she wanted. She just wanted a little bit more time with me. And her way of doing that was telling me she wanted more water. Can I tell her one more story? How about one more bedtime story? How about another glass of water? Now i got to go potty. And I was furious. I wanted my time. Now she's interfering with my time. So I spanked her, and I didn't spank her out of anything other than anger, and it was out of anger, and I went downstairs, and I called my sponsor, and I was crying, and I said, I'm spanking my daughter out of anger, and I don't want to be that kind of mom. I don't want to be that kind of mom. I don't want to be my dad. And she said, well, if you don't want to, if you don't want to do that, you need to change what you're doing. So I took a parenting class. Now, I'm looking and researching and doing all this stuff, looking for a parenting class to go to, and uh, I found one three hours north, three hours long, and three hours back, and that's the one I want, right? And it's really expensive, and I really can't afford it, but that's the one I want. So I'm, like, telling my sponsor, I found one, I'm going to do this or whatever, and and we're kind of deciding it's probably not going to work out because of the logistics and everything's kind of crazy. And the lady uh, that wrote the book called me on the telephone, and she said, I hear that you want to take this parenting class. I need some instructor in your area, and we don't have any instructors in your area. And typically, it's like this outrageous amount. It was like, I don't know, 2000 3000 It was a lot of money. And she said, but I can give it to you for like, I don't know, like two ninety nine or three ninety nine. But I need somebody to pick me up from the airport and drive me up there and spend time with me in this house and split the cost of staying in this place and come back. And if you're willing to do that, I'm willing to do that. How do you say no to that? So I do what you guys told me to do. I showed up with flowers. I showed up, picked her up at the airport, stuck my hand out. My name's Kim. 
and we're driving up to Van Wert, Ohio, and this person cut me off, and I'm thinking, oh, you jerk, and all these other things, and she went, oh, I bet he has a sick kid at home. And I thought, what? I think he cut me off on purpose. I think he was back there, and he was, you know. That's the first time I ever saw a different perspective about something like that. What I learned and gained from that weekend, from just making an amends to my kids, oh my gosh. So I got to become an instruct certified instructor 25 years ago. 25 years ago, I got to be a certified instructor teaching redirecting children's behavior. And I came back, and I had amends I had to make in Alcoholics Anonymous that I couldn't make because they were financial amends. And, well, they, inc- they included other people, and they were serious offenses, and I wasn't able to get them in trouble by clearing my name, so I had to repay some debts, and I would stand up at AA meetings and say, I'm teaching a parenting class, and I'm doing it for free. And every time, I had eight guys and two women, eight guys and two women, eight guys and two women. And what happened is I taught these classes over and over and over and over, and it helped me be a better mom. Isn't that funny? That's what I do in Alcoholics Anonymous with my girls that I sponsor. I go over the same things over and over and read the same things over and over and work the steps over and over and over. And little by little by little, I get the gift by giving to you. Wow. That's amazing. So I'm living these amends. I'm trying to be a better mom. I'm trying to do all these different kinds of things. And, you know... Not all life is perfect, and, you know, you're going to have ups and downs, and we had some ups and downs, and we're going to get divorced, and, you know, life is hard, and and, uh, we moved to Florida, and we did talk to our sponsors about it, you know, and it was a good idea, you know, met all the check marks. We got down there. I was completely miserable, and it wasn't Florida. It was me in my life. You know, I kind of felt like God had picked me up and put me down in Florida and said, you think you have God? Let's see how much God you really have, and I was just, it was awful. Um... My marriage was falling apart. We didn't have all the distractions of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, we had AA meetings at our house on Tuesdays and big book meetings and things like that. And in Florida, we had none of that, none. And we were scrambling trying to find AA family down there, and it was just really, really, really hard. Um, So we came back to Cincinnati, and lo and behold, he got really sick. And, uh, I mean, he was really angry, and I just thought he needed more AA. I'm honest that I did. I, I did. I thought that's what was wrong. And he had cancer. And at this time, we're separated because he... We just were separated, and because uh, it's two of us, it takes two of us. So we got separated, and um, he came to pick up the kids, and his face was uh, numb, and uh, he couldn't move any muscles. And we thought he had Bell's palsy, and he said, "I'm in so much pain." And he said, "They won't give me anything but these steroids." So we went to the hospital, and we got to the hospital, and they did. I said, "I'll take you to the hospital. Let's not let's not go to the street and get street drugs. You know, let's not do that." So we went to the hospital, and they did an MRI and all these things, and they found a tumor in the middle of his head. And this, they found a large tumor here, and the tumor had spread all the way to the base of his skull. And they said, you have stage 4 cancer in your, na- in your nasal pharynx, basically, and you need to prepare your, get your affairs in order. And I moved him back in the house, and, and you guys, we know we did it. We had AA meetings, and people brought meals, and we did that. And, and he got well. He got better. He got better. And uh, the more well he became, the more toxic our household became. And uh, it came, became very apparent to me that I still needed to follow through with the divorce and I was terrified to do that. And I called my sponsor and I said, how do you divorce somebody in Alcoholics Anonymous that's just recovering from cancer? And she said, you divorce them the same way you do that somebody is not recovering from cancer. You do it exactly the same way. This is not, you know, this is what you do. And she walked, she walked through that with me. 
Now, I want to tell you that I, that I was wonderful and things were great and, you know, it's hard. It was awful. Even when you want to get divorced, it's not easy. You know, even when you know it's something you've got to do, it's hard. It's really hard. And I just knew you guys were talking about me because I have a disease in my mind, a disease that tells me that you guys are talking about me. And I know what you're saying, and it's not nice, so stop it. <laughs> but what I did is I let that keep me from coming to these rooms because I thought you were picking sides. I thought you were picking sides. And you were saying that, you know, lady that, you know, left him and he's dying from cancer. How dare her? And what happened is I almost died. I almost died. So I'm laying in, my my sponsor doesn't live in town at the time, and I'm laying upstairs in my bedroom in a fetal position, ready to die. So remember I talked about a home group and having a home group and why it's important, so I'm not showing up to my home group. And two years prior to that, I had done a service position called Night Owl, and I was on the phone with this girl named Karen. She called in the middle of the night. She was drinking. I was on Night Owl. I answered the phone, and I'm having a lengthy conversation with this lady, and about two hours into the conversation, I said, you know, you've got all that beer there. Why don't you just go ahead and finish drinking it and call me in the morning? Because that's what she's going to do anyway. And she's like, great idea. So she hung up. She calls me the next day, and we get her hooked up with some people, and she starts going to AA meetings and stuff like that. Well, two years later... I get a knock on my door when I'm in a fetal position upstairs. And I open up my door, and it's Carol and it's Karen. Karen from who I talked to on the phone, and Carol that goes to my home group meeting and who loves me and knows me. And Karen, Carol opened up the, I opened up the door, and she said, Karen's going to watch your children, and you're going to get in the car, and we're going to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. She didn't ask me, do you think you might want to go to a meeting, or <laughs> you think it might be a good idea. You feel like going to a meeting? There's, they, they, you know, they say there's only two times you need to go to a meeting, when you really need to go to a meeting and when you really don't, or when you want to go to a meeting and when you don't want to go to a meeting. And I didn't want to go to a meeting, but I got in the car. So we go to the car and we go to my home group, and I'm, I'm, I'm a probably, I don't know if I'm 9 or 11 years sober, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm acting like a 2-year-old, and I'm at my home group, and I'm, I'm pissed. I don't want to be here. I don't want your love and your affection and your miracles and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I prefer you just to stay away from me. And then Noreen came up to me and she said, there's a new girl over there. Why don't you give her your number? And I thought, I don't want to give her mine. And she said, I didn't ask you if you wanted to. Go give her your number. And I walked over there and I said, hi, my name's Kim. And I wrote it down and I gave her my number and she never called me. And I wouldn't have called me either. I would have been like, 11 years of sobriety? No, thank you. But what it did for me is it gave me a little bit of hope. A little bit of hope. I did something somebody else wanted me to do against my better decision, and it gave me a little bit of hope. And that little bit of hope was enough to bring me back into these rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and get this gift that we get here. We get a huge gift when we come here. And I'm always so willing to just give it back to you, you know, when things aren't going my way. And let me tell you, things don't always go your way, you know. I didn't get sober, and everything was great and wonderful, and, you know, uh, do I have a great life? I do have a great life, but are things really hard? Heck yes. So I got to go back to school into sobriety. Um, well, let me, let me go backwards a little bit, just a little bit. So I uh, am living on my own uh, with my kids. I'm a single mom. I'm divorced. All that's gone. And uh, going through bankruptcy, losing everything. And, and what I'm finding is that, you know, I don't need all those things. You know, what I needed was my kids in my house. We had a really small house, but I knew what they were into and what they were doing, you know. Um, all the gifts that I got from that experience is, is amazing. Uh, Emer came over to my house once, and uh, my ex at the time came walking in the door like he owned the house, and she, I couldn't do it for myself, and she went, ah, ah, ah. 
She went, this is no longer your house. You need to walk right back outside and knock on the door and ask if you can come in. I was like, you go, Emer. You get him. Emer is passed on. You know, we die from this disease. It kills us. It does. So, I um, have moved since then, and uh, I'm living at this house in Madeira. I moved to Mayberry because I thought it'd be safer for my kids, and I like the school system or whatever, and you guys helped me get there and move. And I, am, uh, I lost my job, and, uh, you know, I kept some secrets. And they weren't, like, big secrets. Like, I was dating my boss, and he wasn't married, and I wasn't married, so it wasn't like we were doing anything wrong. I just hadn't really shared it with anybody, you know? So, little secrets like that. Um, and I hadn't shared them with my sponsor. And what happened was little by little by little, I couldn't sleep at night without the TV being on to drown out the committee in my head at night. And I'd call my sponsor, and I wasn't telling her what was going on. So I'm like, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I can't sleep at night. My committee's going. And she's like, well, make a prayer list and pray for each person and go down the list. So I'm doing that. And it's not working because I'm not telling her everything I need to be telling her. So, uh, And for me, you know, drinking at that time wasn't an option. I was contemplating, you know, suicide. I was thinking, like, I just, you know, if this doesn't stop, it was getting so bad, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, this is, this is bad. And uh, I had a new girl sleeping on my couch, and uh, she looked at me and she said, you think maybe we should pray? <laughs> you know it's bad when the new girl's looking at you like... <laughs> Maybe you should hit your knees. I don't know. Thank you. So I did that prayer, and I went out, and I called my sponsor, and I said, listen, I'm going to drink or kill myself if I don't go over this with you. And she said, I'll call you back in 10 minutes. And I went over those little secrets that I had, that I had been keeping, that weren't that big of a deal but were secrets nonetheless. Because let me tell you, they have the power to kill. They have the power to kill. And I almost let it get me. I almost let it get me. So I shared that with her, and I jumped back into the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. Uh, and that's where, that's where the answer is for me, is here with you guys. It's going to meetings. It's showing up and saying yes to AA requests when I would rather not. My mother-in-law died today, this morning. Did I want to call and say, I can't come? You betcha. I got to go with my children. To say goodbye to their grandmother. And she died right after we got there. We got to be present for that. That's a result of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's a result of Alcoholics Anonymous. If I was drinking, I wouldn't have showed up for my kids in that way. I wouldn't have showed up for her in that way. No way. No way. I'd have been thinking about how I can drink next. Because that's what I did. I didn't show up for important things. I drank. That's a gift. Today's my wedding anniversary. I've been married to Ed for six years today. And I'm here giving a a lead. Happy anniversary. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Did I want to cancel today? I did. I did. But we show up. We suit up and we show up and we sit up front. And we support, we support each other. We do those steps. 
We pray when we don't understand why we pray. We show up when we, we don't understand why we're showing up. We put our hand out and we say, hi, my name is, when we don't really understand it. We read that book over and over and over again when we don't understand it. We work those steps to the best of our ability until we understand them more. I was, I think, seven years sober before I knew what resentment meant. <laughs> and I was supposed to be writing about them. <laughs> but that's what we do here. We show up. I have a 27-year-old. And I don't know that she's ever really seen me drink, to, you know, that, that I know of. She's smart and she's funny. She caught a felony. I was proud of her. <laughs> I was not proud of her. But then I went, there she is. There she is. She's doing okay. She's doing okay. We'll see. We'll see what happens with that. I have my middle daughter, Nicole, who's 24. And... She adults really well, and that's a direct result of you guys growing up in Alcoholics Anonymous. I was the mom that went to open meetings all the time because I had to bring my kids with me. I had to bring my kids with me. I had to. This is the only place I have. This is the end of the road. And you guys showed me how to be a better mom. You guys showed me how to sit down with them and get on their eye level. You guys showed me how to make a little pack that they only play with at AA meetings. I didn't know how to do any of that. I learned that from you guys. Then I have my son, Joshua, who's 20. He's in nursing school. What? (laughs) And he's a good kid. He's a good kid. I learned how to be a good ex-wife here. I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know that it was possible. I married Edward, and we invite them over. That's, you know, we lost a mother-in-law today, you know? I mean, how... Ten days ago, we were taking her supplies, you know, and dropping it off on her porch. You know, and he wanted to go with me to my ex-mother-in-law's house. We invite them over for birthdays and graduations, dinners. How do you do that? You guys showed us how to do that. You did. You really did. You taught me how to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, how to be a mother, how to take parenting classes, how to do laundry. You taught me how to vote. I know. Don't talk about that. But I didn't know how. I missed it in school. I did. I missed it. I missed out how to do that. And I learned here. You guys taught me how to live life. You taught me how to get back into the spring of life. You did. And I'm very grateful. Thanks for having me.